Welcome to Biblical Perspectives on Aging, the podcast where you and your church will find answers to the difficult questions that arise as we grow older. On behalf of the Baptist Home, this is your host, Dr. Andy Brames. Welcome to Biblical Perspectives on Aging today, and today we have Dr. Randy Bennett joining us, and Randy is going to talk about just some of the challenges that he's been through personally that have helped pastorally and vice versa with that, a lot of uh, death and and, um, challenges in his life over these past couple of years. So Randy, would you just like to introduce yourself and a little bit about uh, where you serve at this time? Yes, I serve in the heartland of California, where Californians are actually politically, socially, and every other way, very, very conservative. (laughs) Too hot to be otherwise. This is Central California. I'm in Bakersfield. Uh, This is actually where Southern Baptist work began in California, where the Dust Bowl and the uh, Great Depression drove many, many Americans to come searching for work in the 1920s and 1930s and they came right here and so this is ended up where southern baptist work began and the first southern baptist churches were begun here and first southern baptist association was begun here and i believe i'm the fifth person to serve as the director of missions of the baptist association here and i was called here to begin serving in 1995 and i've been here for 26 27 years and it's been a very interesting time of service. We have seen so many changes. I'm sure. Uh, the way the churches operate, the, the way they function, and of course, with the rest of the world, we have been greatly impacted by the COVID uh, shutdowns. And the churches are still struggling to get back to what they once were, if they ever will. And I don't think they will. It's, it's generally, you have to start something new. and. I don't think we know what that something new is yet. Hmm. But prior to that, I was a pastor for 20 years. And then my hobby is I'm an adjunct professor at three different seminaries. One of the differences between being a pastor and being a director of missions is 20 hours a week. You think about that. The 20 hours a week you spent studying to preach Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. Well, you have that 20 hours, and that left such a gap in my life uh, that I realized, well, I can actually be an adjunct professor, and uh, it will fill my life and make me uh, a lot more personally fulfilled if I can invest in students both online and then on campus where I can. But I do a lot of my work is online, and then I do work in the DMIN program at, at Midwestern. Uh, going live when we can, but I did have my first experience last year with the Zoom DMIN seminar. That was <laughs> quite the experience. I practiced and practiced and practiced. I sort of had the feeling like uh, a DMIN experience online with Zoom should be a professional experience, and it turned out to be so. And so I've really gone to uh, grown to really enjoy the Zoom experience. It, it can be really good if the technology cooperates. Sure. And if you practice, you have to practice. And so uh, my wife and I live here in Bakersfield and uh, well, we live here with, and our mother-in-law lives with us. She's, uh, she's here with us. She has severe dementia and memory loss. 
and she is now in hospice. And all that is quite a story. And so that'll be part of what we'll talk about today. Well, so having served 20 years as a pastor now, 25, 26 years as, as DOM, you have certainly seen people age your mother-in-law, even as a part of that. You've helped people, you've helped pastors with grieving. So can you share a couple of thoughts, a few thoughts maybe on how you navigate these particular challenges as pastor, as DOM, in whatever capacity you would wish to share that, Randy? It's been, uh, I think it's been helpful to have experience with death. I think the average person has not seen death. Very early in my ministry, I think I was 18 or 19 years old, when I was a youth pastor in Colton. Uh, my pastor, and, and bless his heart, he scared me to death, I'll tell you. He took me to the hospital to, to visit with him with the person who was dying. And I got to be there with them when they died. Hmm. And I had never seen that before. I had not ever been with a relative when they died. And then at my next church as a youth pastor, the pastor there did the same thing with me. And then the next, then the next, then the next. And so I'd say by the time I was 22, 23, I had been with numerous people when they died. And I tell you, that helped so much because I kind of learned the face of death. Hmm. And I learned that death itself was not so ugly, that it was not so frightening. And so it, that really helped me a lot as pastor. And I think it, it helps me then as a family member when I see my loved ones dead, uh, I can kind of face it better. And then last year, my own mom died. She died in June. And so we were like the COVID families. We were able to have a very small gravesite, but not a funeral. And that was difficult, not having a funeral. Uh, but I was able to kind of look death face on and not be freaked out by it. One of the things I learned early on then as a pastor, I learned from this woman in the church. She was a tall, thin woman and her husband had lung cancer. And I don't know if it's possible, Andy, but I think I learned to spot lung cancer. Hmm. You know, there's a certain look that, that particularly men have that have lung cancer. You can almost see it. And I, probably silly to think I can spot it. But I've spotted it a number of times and I look at someone who I think they have lung cancer and you can almost spot it. Uh, but she kept saying about her husband, she says, you know what, Pastor, I'm ready. I'm really ready for my husband to go. And she was so emphatic, I kind of believed her. And I took her at her word. Well, that was a big mistake. She was not ready. And so her husband died. We went through the funeral and, and all the process and and when it was over, he had died and the funeral was over. She said to me, Pastor, I wasn't ready. I don't know why I told you that. I wasn't ready. And that was a great lesson for me as a pastor, as a caregiver. She wasn't ready because I think the conscience in the mind always believes there's one more day. There's always one more day. But there wasn't. In fact, I watched a TV movie of the week. And that was what the character was saying. He says, all I want is one more full day with my wife. And I don't think I would have understood what that character was trying to say if it hadn't been for this woman. Because in your mind, there's always one more day. 
And so that really helped me understand that you're never ready. Whether it's your, your own spouse or whether it's your dad or your mom. My dad died in 1991. We weren't ready. When my mom died last June. We knew she was going to die. We weren't ready. Carol's dad died 10 years ago. We weren't ready. And we know Carol's mom is going to die sometime in the next year. We're not ready for that because there's always one more day. And so that's helped me in providing counsel to people that you're not ready. Mm-hmm. The other thing I, I've, I've learned is that the uh, process of grief, although there are stages of grief, and I've had that training, and I think it's helpful, but everybody grieves differently. It takes a different shape. Uh, some people cry, some people don't cry. I happen to be a crier. I don't know about you, Andy, but and I cry. I just cry. I can't help it. And the older I get, I cry more because it got, it does kind of bunch up. You know, it's mm-hmm. like you've got them in bunches. Uh, December last year, we just had like multiple deaths, and I hate to sound silly here, but including our dog. Our dog died the same day as people as people we really love died. And you put it all together, it was very difficult before Christmas to lose our dog and humans that we loved. And it was just, it was all together, it was very difficult. It made Christmas is extra hard. But I tell you this, I, I don't ever apologize for my tears. Sure. I, I'm, I'm grateful for my tears. I learned that with my dad and my, my older brother, for example, He's, he's got that stoic, that stoicism is, he's very stoic. I don't think for my dad, I don't think he cried for years. Whereas my brother and my mom, we, we cried together immediately and we kept crying. And I think we got through it better. And my older brother, I think he came to me uh, like seven years later and he said, how did you guys get through it so quickly? And I think it's because we cried immediately. And sometimes I even pray, God, please let me, let me weep. Let me weep and get through this pain. Let the pain mm-hmm. come out through my tears. So uh, don't ever apologize for your tears. I think the tears are cleansing. I know in my dad's generation, he's that great generation that came through World War II. It seemed like there's two things those people couldn't do. They couldn't say to their children, I love you. Mm-hmm. That was weird. Mm-hmm. They just couldn't say it. And they couldn't cry. His parents died. He never shed a tear. And I would ask him, but dad, can't you cry? Well, what good good would it do? Well, dad, it would do a lot of good. It would take away the pain. Well, it wouldn't do any good, so I'm not going to cry. It would do a lot of good. Why don't you let it out? No, it won't do any good. Yeah, well, yes, it would. But he would never cry. And my older brother's kind of like that. But it's different, though. He was my mom's caregiver. Okay. And he's crying all the time. And I'm happy for him. He's a little embarrassed and not saying, no, no, this is the way it is. You should be crying. You cared for her for the last 10, 12 years. And yeah, you got a big hole in your heart. You should yeah. be crying. Yeah. So cry and don't apologize for it. So if you cry with the loss of a loved one, go ahead. <laughs> Even if your little cat or dog dies, just go ahead and cry. Well, like you said, it's, you know, people do kind of handle these things differently, um, you know, and, and, and move forward differently, move forward, forward at different paces. 
and you've, you've already touched on this just a little bit, Randy, but how, how has that understanding for you, you know, going back to the nineties with your father, et cetera, how has that helped you to help others? Uh, obviously you're as a pastor, but you're also a person. And sometimes people forget that, that, that we as pastors are all actually people that deal with emotions and things as well. So, so how has that, the, those experiences in your own life helped you to better care for people who are aging or dying uh, or the people who are left behind from others who have, who have gone on and died? I think, uh, I guess a number of things. Number one is I'm a pretty good listener and people kind of, they're open to talk to me about where they're at. Partly because I'm open to talk to them about where I'm at. Okay. For example, I, I've shared with you off camera that my mentor died early Monday morning. So this two days ago at our pastor's Zoom meeting, I shared with our pastors that my mentor died. And I, I shared so with tears. And the men were really listening. And so I got a number of comments back for them and texts. And they said, thank you for sharing your heart. And they said, we were really listening. <laughs> and they were because I, I opened my heart to them. Mm -hmm. What that means is then they'll open their hearts to me when they're mm -hmm. hurting. Mm -hmm. And I think often when they're hurting, they just want, they want someone that knows what they feel so that they can open their hearts to me when they're hurting. And part of what we do have in our association, if we have that kind of spirit with each other, is that one person hurts, we share with them. Uh, we're not in competition with each other to mm -hmm. grow the biggest churches. Uh, we're not trying to out-baptize each other. We're not trying to outgrow churches so that one person would be better than the next. We're, we're in this together. And we love each other and we support each other. And uh, we, we have a lot of support uh, for the things that each, each of us are going through. Not only the pastors, but so do the pastor's wives. Good. My wife spends a lot of time with the other pastors. And they are really good at supporting each other when there's loss, especially death. Okay. And one thing we notice, I'm, I'm in my late 60s that everybody in our age group is going through this right now. Hmm. And they're, they're taking care of a parent or two parents, or they've just lost a parent. Uh, some good friends of mine have just finished losing the second parent. Or one of the, one of the uh, couples very close to us, they, one parent died and the other parent now is now coming under their roof, just like okay. we've done. And so, we're all commiserating this together. And we all know we're gonna be facing their deaths together. And so we're, we, stay, we, we share our stories. In fact, my wife has been going to a support group at one of the churches nearby. And one of the things I did, and this is, I think I broke the preacher rules. Uh, I went to a grief support group as a participant, not the leader. Okay. And I almost felt like, uh-oh, I shouldn't tell any of the preachers. We're supposed to have it all together. Yeah. 
but I was crying so much over my mother's death. I wasn't handling it well. And I was praying about it. And I kind of felt like the Lord said, you, you encourage others to get help. Why don't you help? So right then I opened up Facebook and, and our church, Valley Baptist Church, was offering a grief support group on Zoom. And I thought, well, I'm going to sign up. So I, I just finished that a couple weeks ago and it was 13 weeks and uh, I really needed it. I needed to go through the process. And it was great. It was really great. And I was the most emotional one there. And I don't think my loss was the greatest loss. There was three couples in there that had lost grown children. Oh, wow. Which I think has to be the worst loss there is. And so there I I lost my mother. I lost an older woman. And one of the things I, I thought, wow, all those years as a pastor, did I really understand when a 60-year-old man lost his 90-year-old mother that it hurt just as much as though I was a young person. Hmm. I don't think I did. I think I kind of thought, well, she's an old, old woman. He's an old, old man. That's not a big deal. Wrong. Hmm. No. To me, that's my mom, How, however old I am. And I have to, I almost wish I could go back and ask, ask forgiveness of some people for my lack of compassion and understanding. But I see it differently now. I really do. But the grief share group was very, very helpful to me. And I'd encourage anybody to go through that. Especially if you're having, if you're having a hard time to get through it. And I think for me, part of the reason I was having an extra time getting through it is because it, it was really the accumulation of multiple deaths in my life. Yeah that were taking place. It wasn't, it was mom and two or three others. It had happened at the same time. It just kept piling up on me. And having completed that now with your, with your mentor dying earlier this week, you know, you, uh, not that you need to return to the group, but you have different tools for processing it. I'm certain again, that can help you moving forward. So. Yeah, if, if, if very many more people die, I'm going to have to go through it again. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, Randy, as, a, as someone who leads pastors, as someone who has been a pastor, what are some verses or even passages from Scripture that provide clarity for these moments, the comfort for, for you as you went through some of these issues? And um, what, as you think back on that now, what portions of Scripture might help you today even? Well, I think there's, there's quite a few. Proverbs, my, my great vacation Bible school text. We used to make these out of plaster of Paris, give them to my mom. And since I had two brothers in PBS with me, she had them on every wall in the house, I think. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart and lean not into thine own understanding. In all thy ways, acknowledge him, and he shall direct thy paths. I love that passage. I've known, I've known that one since I was a child. I love it because there are so many decisions to make. Like as we especially deal with Carol's mother-in-law. She goes through her different stages. We have decisions to make. When do we bring her home? When do we put her on hospice? 
we have to trust the Lord that when a decision needs to be made, we'll know when to make it. And that's one thing I always tell Carol. I says, Carol, when we need to make that decision, we'll know. And so something will happen and I will look at her and I'll say, well, Carol, right now is the time. She'll look at me and she goes, now is the time. And so we'll make that decision. And that's kind of based on that passage of scripture. Because I believe he'll show us when the time is. He'll direct our paths. The 23rd Psalm is one that Carol loves a lot. The passage that basically talks about where we walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Mm -hmm. And it's not that we're dying. It's that our loved ones are dying. But we're walking in the valley of the shadow of their death. Mm -hmm. We're doing the walking. They're doing the dying. But we're walking in the shadow of that. And there's a lot of challenges in that valley of the shadow of death. As we are their caregivers, as we are making, we're making decisions on their behalf all the time. And when they're still alive and they're conscious of what's going on, it's sometimes rather difficult to make decisions for them because they can still talk. They can still think. They can still react. They can still talk back. Let's put it that way. <laughs> sure. And they, could, they can cut you down with their words. Psalm 116, verse 5. That's a psalm I memorized right, right after I graduated from high school. Verse 5 is precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his godly ones. Mm -hmm. So that's a funny one to be thinking of, but I also think, you know, it's it's precious to God when one of his people dies. It's precious. It's it's like a gem or a jewel. It's not just a body. Uh, it's precious and important and wonderful and important. And it's a treasure. That person is a treasure to God. And he's not a nuisance. It's not just a lump of a body. It's, it's something that God treasures. Mm-hmm. And that, that comforts me. And of course, the one everybody quotes is to be absent from the body, is to be present with the Lord. That is so good. My best friend died 2018. I still cry about that almost every day. That was a huge loss. But when I think about him, he 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 kind of like flew away. <laughs> He's, he was an old Pentecostal preacher turned Baptist. And I think of Brother Jim just flying away to heaven, shouting hallelujah. <laughs> and he would have loved that. He would have loved that. And he's absent from the body and he's present with the Lord. That's kind of like the first of the losses that began to build for me. It started in 018 and it just started building from there. It just kept building and building and building. But it's hard to lose a best friend. He was just a part of my ministry pretty much every day. But there's another verse. It's kind of an obedience verse. Why would you bring a mother-in-law into your home? Exodus 20, honor the father and the mother. Hmm. <laughs> I often think, just put her in her home. <laughs> I honor my father and my mother. 
I've always known we would do that if it was necessary. And uh, it's not that I always wanted to do that, but for Carol, it's necessary. Okay. For her heart, it's necessary. And not even financially necessary, it's necessary for the way she feels and the way she thinks. And so we're doing that. And so those, those are kind of the verses that get me through. Yeah. Uh, that's that's really helpful and uh, randy we've we've uh, had a couple of interviews on recently of even people who work with baptist homes and healthcare ministries that uh, have wanted to take care uh, of family members and try to take care of family members in the house a sister or whatever and and find themselves unable to at some point you know it, it becomes too burdensome and so uh you know they've moved the care for their their family uh, into a care facility, so to speak. And so like we said about death and, and handling that situation, you know, people are going to respond to these things differently. And, and again, this is something you've kind of touched on now that you've, as a older male, have lost a much older mother. Uh, seemingly, you know, this is just, it's the natural order of events, right? And she, she was older and, and this is the way when people are supposed to die. But you mentioned a few moments ago that uh, when you were younger, you didn't appreciate the fact that, well, that 60-year-old man lost the 90-year-old mother and he should be okay with it. So maybe there's a couple of other things that as a pastor, you learned that have helped you personally. Maybe there's some things that you have now learned even in the last couple of years from your personal journey that, that are helping you to help pastors in your role as a DOM at this point. Is there anything else that you'd like to share uh, along those lines, Randy? Well, you, you almost have to identify the things not to say. This, this has come up a lot. It came up a lot in the grief share group. And it's actually come up a lot with my mother-in-law. I've learned, don't bring this up with her. Uh, the way she was raised, they, they didn't uh, treat death with compassion at all. And so I find at the dinner table, I would be sharing my, my feelings of, of loss with about my mother and no compassion whatsoever. Hmm. And I would find myself hurt and angry at her. So I've just kind of, I try to keep that away from the dinner table conversation. Well, she's in a better place. She's better off. It's better off that she's dead. Hmm. Oh, well, uh, thank you for saying that. And a whole list of things she would say. So then in the grief share group, uh, you begin to find out people are saying a lot of things like that. And so you almost have to find that list of things, what not to say. And actually, in many cases, the less you say, the better. And it is interesting, is it not, that across our culture, and I think it's like the last seven to 10 years, the terminology has changed. Even in television shows and movies now, the line is, I am sorry for your loss. That's new. That's very new. I say 10 years or less. They used to say, well, they're in a better place. Well, you know, no, no, they're not in a better place. The better place is with me. That's kind of mm -hmm. the way I feel. 
So the corporate terminology now is, I'm very sorry for your loss. Mm-hmm. And that is it's really a pretty good way to say it. But you almost have to identify where like the five, and I'm sorry, I don't have that on the top of my memory. But I did, I had written that down in my notes for the grief share group. But there's a lot of things not to say. So just give my mother-in-law a call and ask her about death and she'll give you all five things not to say immediately. <laughs> She's going to say them. Uh, just those little things people say, they're so hurtful. Uh, they're not in a better place when they're not with, with you. Yeah, okay, technically they are. All right, they're with Jesus now. They're not with you, so they're in a better place. But those little lines don't help. They hurt. And so what I really what I learned is, maybe here's, let me just share the lesson I learned, since I can't remember the lines, the, the little phrases, is... You, your head processes it one way. So yes, they are in a better place. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Yes. But the heart is a different thing. Mm-hmm. What I'm feeling and what I'm thinking are two completely different things. And so when somebody is grieving, you have to deal with the heart issues. You don't deal with the head issues. You kind of deal with the head issues before anybody dies. You know, in your preaching and teaching ministry, you deal with the head issues. But when they're grieving, you deal with heart issues. And I would say that's the biggest thing I learned. Is you deal with the heart when they're grieving. You deal with the head when you're doing teaching, training, and discipling. And that that just became clearer and clearer through the grief share group and it become clear as I process my loss. I don't want you to talk to me about head issues when I'm crying, when I'm hurting, don't go to the head issues. I can't hear it. I don't want to hear it. Uh, go to my heart. Oh, you're, I see you're really hurting. It's hard to lose a mother, isn't it? But see, I know a few, uh, about three, four years ago, I was at one of our churches and these uh, 80-year-old women lost their 100-year-old mother. <laughs> I'm sorry, I was kind of scoffing it. Oh, you know, God, forgive me for that. I was kind of scoffing it like, come on, ladies, you're 80. She's 100. Get over it. You should all be dead. You know, it's got this... this Bad thinking on my part, hmm. lack of compassion. Now I realize how wrong I was. That was just very uh, unmerciful of me to be even having those thoughts. So I repent of those publicly that I was wrong to think or to feel that way. And God forbid if that ever came out in words or in sarcasm or in any, any, even in my yeah. facial expressions. That, that would be completely wrong because I, I could be 80, I could be 90 and I lose my mom. It would be, it would be like I was a five-year-old. I still would feel the same thing. Still your mom. Still your mom. Still your mom. So I know, I know uh, when my dad died, I was like 38 years old. I was such a better pastor after that. It was noticeable. My people comment on it, Pastor, you're really different now. And I was. 
I, I came to them with a broken heart. Mm. And, uh, and I understood. I understood something I never understood before. And so sometimes we wonder, well, God, why do you have me suffer? Why do you put me through a hard church? Why do you put me through hard circumstances? Yeah, so it's so you can actually be a pastor. If you go to great places where you never have struggles, you'll never be a pastor. You'll be a preacher, but you'll never be a pastor. A pastor has to have had struggle and hurt to be able to understand where his people are. So if you only have good times, you're fairly useless. <laughs> yes. That's that's a good word. Even as you're talking about that, Randy, I'm I'm thinking that you know within a within a care facility uh, like the Baptist homes have, um, there are certainly there's pastors, pastors' wives, former pastors, whatever in those. But there are people who have experienced death personally, uh, you know, through loss of a spouse or a child or whatever that that can use these words to help others or caregivers within these facilities can, uh, can, can use the information that you're saying uh, to share. And, and I guess I hadn't processed myself. I, I hadn't really realized, as you said, that the idea of loss using that terminology, how recent that was to, to our vocabulary. I, I uh, certainly, I, I say that often, but I just, I hadn't processed the, the timing of that, how that had become incorporated over time. So I, I really appreciate you sharing those things. We're, we're moving towards the end of the interview, Randy. Is, is there anything else that you'd like to share uh, with those who are watching and or listening that something I haven't asked that, that you, that it's on your heart to share today? Yeah. One, one last area is that, and that would be the difficulties and challenges of the caregiver. Uh, when you're the caregiver of the, taking care of someone that like in my wife, in my situation, my wife is, is the caregiver of her mother. We give a lot of attention to the patient. And I, I do praise God for hospice. I'm, I'm just, just now really learning what hospice does. Hospice does do a really nice job, very good job with the patient. But I'm beginning to realize that's really not what who they're really helping. They're really helping the caregiver. Hmm. Like we're with Hoffman Hospice here in Kern County and, and they're very good. But they really told us, no, they're here for the caregiver. And they have a facility in town that uh, you can actually take the patient to for five days. And for respite care, it's really designed in case they break a bone or something and they, they, they have to have really advanced care for a certain period of time. But we can sign up and and put our mother-in-law there for five days, and that gives us a break. Okay. What they're saying is, must much of what they do is is to provide a break for the caregiver. And so I asked my wife last night, just before we went to bed, I said, basically, tell me what you would like to say for the interview tomorrow. And she said, it is extremely difficult being a caregiver and uh, and this morning she said don't forget to tell them about the isolation hmm. she said for the caregiver isolation is one of the huge issues now we are fortunate that our hospice does provide volunteers and this is fantastic they provide us four hours of time on sunday mornings 
volunteers coming from 10 to 2 o'clock on Sunday morning so we can go to church and go to lunch. Okay. Which is great, and which kind of fits my schedule as a DOM. We go to church somewhere, and we go to lunch. And so we can, and that's kind of our pattern. So we can be together. That's always kind of our date. Our date is Sunday morning. Uh, go to church, have lunch together. And, and then also we have a, a volunteer that comes for two hours on Thursday. So Carol can go out and do whatever she needs to do. But isolation is one of her issues. And so therefore loneliness is one of the issues of the caregiver. And so for those that are living our situation where you have a caregiver that's watching over somebody that's on, that's on hospice, living with them, is take care of the caregiver. And I can see that with Carol. I can see that she go, she's going through stages of grief. She's going through stages of fear. Uh, like this week, I think we saw her mother decline maybe two more steps, two more steps down. Okay. And I saw her go two more steps higher in fear. I could see the fear on her face. And I thought, oh my, she's going to need a little bit more help. And so we have to consider the role of the caregiver. And I don't know the statistics, but I know that it, uh, the, the, the caregiver can be greatly damaged through this process. And depending on how long it takes for somebody to die and how they die, is it a good death? Is it a bad death? Is it a short death? Is it a long death? Uh, but, but give attention to the caregiver. Don't just give attention. And that's one thing she said also last night. She said, she said my mom was fine. She's getting everything she needs. She said, but I'm not. Hmm. So I have a big responsibility to really keep my eyes open on my wife. Is my wife getting what she needs? And so I, I think the final question is how can you pray for me? And I think the answer to that is pray that I have wisdom to know how to take care of my wife. And I'm not sure I know exactly how to take care of her. So I, got, I have to have my eyes opened to know how to take care of her. Randy, that is a, a great and a challenging word uh, for us to consider, uh, making sure that we're taking care of those who are taking care of others. And so I, I appreciate your, your openness, uh, as you said earlier, being open and listening to others allows them to listen to you. So hopefully people can't, you can't listen to others as a part of this, but hopefully people have, have heard your words and, and will take them uh, to account and, and be able to process accordingly. So I, I greatly appreciate you sharing your heart, uh, your experiences. And again, even in the midst of, of losing your mentor earlier this week, as challenging as, as that has been and the freshness within that, uh, you maintaining uh your willingness to do this interview and, and sharing your experiences accordingly. So thank you on behalf of the Baptist Homes and Healthcare Ministries for that. Well, you're welcome. I'll be headed to Colorado in the morning and we'll be joining the family and uh, be, I'll be participating in the funeral, which will be Monday. Cool. Well, another, another opportunity to pray, I guess, by the time this airs uh, next week, I believe it will air that that funeral will already be done. But uh, as people listen to this, continue to pray for, 
obviously for Randy and his wife, Carol, in their situation, but also uh, for the family of his mentor. We won't share their names for, for privacy's sake. So again, thank you very much, Randy. You're welcome. Great to be with you guys today. God bless you. Thank you for joining us for this interview today. The Baptist Home has provided Christ-like care to the aging since 1913. To learn more about the biblically informed resources and solutions provided by The Baptist Home, go to www.thebaptisthome.org. Again, www.thebaptisthome.org. You will find links to previous podcasts, a growing number of church resources, and detailed information about residential and long-term care communities. Until next time, this is your host, Dr. Andy Brams, asking you to be a voice for the aging.